everyone. Welcome to California Employment News, an informative video resource offered by the Labor and Employment Group at Weintraub Tobin. My name is Beth West, and I'm the chair of the Labor and Employment Group. I'm joined today by my partner, Megan Bainbridge. This is our third installment of a four-part series on effective and defensible workplace investigations. Today, we're going to discuss the important topic of how to make reasonable investigative findings once you've gathered all the evidence. Megan, why don't you start us off today by discussing the importance of investigative findings and the standards that apply? Thanks, Beth. Pursuant to statute and to state law, an effective investigation must contain reasonable findings regarding the allegations contained within the scope in order to be lawful. Most often, employers will use the preponderance of the evidence standard. This is a civil burden of proof, and it's the most common standard applied in workplace investigations. This means that the investigator must find whether it is more likely than not that the alleged conduct did or did not occur. This means 50% plus just a feather. It's just ever so slight that puts it in the one camp versus the other. Every once in a while, however, investigators must use a clear and convincing evidence standard. This standard is rarely used in factual investigations, but may be required pursuant to certain laws. For example, a whistleblower claim under Labor Code Section 1102.5 requires a clear and convincing evidence standard. This means that there is a high probability that a fact is true or not true, as opposed to something being simply more likely than not. Beth, in most investigations, investigators will be faced with conflicting evidence. We know that investigators must make findings, however. So what do we do when we're hearing from different stories from different witnesses? Well, in order to make those findings, the investigator has to review and synthesize the evidence gathered during the investigation, including what witnesses have said and what documents and other tangible evidence may show. The investigator has to fairly consider facts from both positions, meaning from both the complainant side of the story and the respondent side of the story, and determine what facts are relevant and what facts are not relevant. Sometimes there can be a lot of information involved in an investigation, and it can be really cumbersome to organize it so that it makes sense. But if the investigator prepares some charts, outlines, timelines, graphs, things like that, it can often help the investigator organize and synthesize the facts. Almost every investigation will involve factual disputes, sometimes many factual disputes. You've probably heard the old adage, he said, she said. When dealing with factual disputes, the investigator cannot stop short and merely say that the finding is not possible. Instead, the investigator should use various credibility factors to determine which version of facts appears to be more credible, which one is more likely than not to be true. When conducting that credibility assessment, there are many factors that can be considered. For example, is there direct or indirect cooperation of facts or events by other witnesses? What's the plausibility or implausibility of what a witness tells you? Uh, does the witness have the capacity to observe something they've told you or lack of capacity to observe it? Is there any evidence uh, of the witness's motivation to lie? Uh, consider the evasive or deceptive responses by witnesses, also any indirect admissions by witnesses, and of course, is there any evidence of bias by the witness? Now there's no formula for assessing credibility and an investigator doesn't have to utilize all the credibility factors or even any of them unless they uh, apply. 
However, when there is a factual dispute that cannot otherwise be resolved, credibility factors are important to help the investigator reach reasonable findings as to which version of events is more credible. Megan, why don't you explain how an investigator should reach findings after they've synthesized the evidence and made credibility determinations? Well, Beth, like you just said, you have to make the findings. So that means you're making the appropriate credibility assessments, and then you're making the actual finding weighing all of the evidence. Remember, investigators don't need to be clairvoyant. They don't even have to be right. Rather, they need to examine all evidence gathered and then make a finding based on the appropriate standard of review. There will be times when you're investigating multiple issues. So findings must be made for each separate issue. That means for each issue, the investigator is concluding that it is either more likely than not that the allegation occurred as alleged, more likely than not that the allegation did not occur as alleged. Some allegations occurred, but the complainant's interpretation of them was incorrect or unreasonable. As you said, Beth, what an investigator cannot do is throw his or her hands in the air and fail to make a finding. That's, as you said, the he said, she said. That's not a finding an investigator can make. Rather, investigators have to do the hard work of synth synthesizing the facts, and when facts are in dispute, making the necessary credibility assessments to make a finding. And that's how you make a factual finding. Thanks, Megan. Well, that does it today for part three of our four-part series on effective and defensible investigations. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for our final installment in the series where we will discuss the elements of an effective investigation report. Remember, you can find episodes of California Employment News by subscribing to the Weintraub Tobin YouTube channel or by visiting our blog at www.thelelawblog.com. Thank you. Thank you.